Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Hi, I'm Whitney Oaks, Research Associate at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. And today on the Center of Everywhere, my colleague Kelly Ash will be interviewing two researchers at the University of Minnesota Extension on the topic of the Amazon effect. Just last week, the Center published a report on this topic which describes the impact online retail has had on tax revenue as local, rural, brick-and-mortar retail stores disappear. Thank you so much for listening, and here's the show. So today I'm joined by Neil Lynchide and Ryan Pesch, two friends of mine that go back plenty of years and I consider colleagues and good researchers and professionals in rural economic and community development and research. Both work for the University of Minnesota Extension Community Economics Program, both educators uh, living in rural Minnesota and had a lot of fun working with you guys on this project. I'm excited to have a conversation, kind of what were some of the highlights that you guys saw while doing this research? I mean, when we were kind of finishing this up, you guys both mentioned that you kind of learned a lot through this process, things that you didn't know about. But one of the big reasons I reached out to you guys when I first started working on this project and hearing about this issue related to Amazon effects on local tax revenues is because University of Minnesota Extension offers programs uh, for communities to kind of get more detailed data and information and analysis from you guys related to kind of sales tax and retail tax. It's something you guys have been digging into for quite a few years now. If one of you, uh, maybe Ryan, I know uh, you've kind of been in charge of some of this stuff. Would you mind kind of just providing our listeners a little bit of overview of some of the programs and how that looks on the ground with some of your communities? Yeah, there's uh, two that we've done traditionally here for more than 10 years. The, the first one, using a state sales tax data, the sales tax database, we've been doing what's called a retail trade analysis ever since I've been with Extension since 2004. So we're using um, state sales tax data to do an analysis of a community, either city or county, to get just a basic scorecard about how retail and service sales are doing. Recently, we've been using that same data probably the last five years, four or five years, uh, doing local option sales tax analysis. So a lot of communities in terms of after the change in the laws governing local option sales tax and, and how to institute it, we've been doing analysis to get a sense about, is there more in-shopping or out-shopping by category? So to get a general sense about whether it's more local residents or non-residents who are going to be paying that local option sales tax tax. Local option sales tax tax. <laughs> but, and lastly, I don't know, probably last 15 years, 12 years or something, we've been doing this market area profile uh, where we use some sales tax data, but we're often going to uh, some published secondary data from census and doing basically applied research, maybe some consumer survey research together with it, some primary data collection to have a community examine how they're, you know, what were the gaps in their, their retail business district and uh, just better understand their customers and where they can go with retail service in their community. So I think that's going back into a community and thinking about like what it's like. You're, maybe you're involved in economic development, you're involved in, uh, you're a local business owner, you're thinking about Main Street, you're thinking about your downtown or just, you know, business development in general, and you're thinking, 
hey, we there seems to be some opportunities here. We'd like to explore what's possible. What might make our downtown more vibrant? We think starting with some data about what's happening and what's been happening is a really helpful place to start. Like Ryan is talking about those retail trade studies and collecting that historical picture of the retail sales in a community. We're going in um, and looking at that data by different sectors, business sectors within the retail sector. Um, and, I, and you can see how things have changed over time, but you can also see how things have stayed the same and that there are some patterns that just aren't going away. We're also often trying to triangulate that with other information that we have about the community, about consumer spending patterns, how much income is available in the community and, and give people some sense of the size of the market. And you know, that, that's maybe at the front end of trying to understand what you could do and what we see is people use that kind of information to identify opportunities. And then that's where business owners might step in. Entrepreneurs might step in and say, all right, with this information, I can build that into my business plan or my market analysis. And, and they have to take into account the local context before they can do something. So that's, I think, a big reason why do we look at this stuff is to help people do something with it. We don't want it to just sit around and um, be data that nobody uses and doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah, it is. I think that's absolutely right. You know, with the big picture, it is about understanding that context. And I think what drives people and local leaders to focus on retail and Main Street is because it, as you elegantly wrote about in this report, Kelly, it's a very visible part of the local economy. Even if retail sector might actually not be that important to your whole local economy in terms of, you know, the wealth it generates or the jobs it generates or any number of things, right? You, real big picture, retail is only one part of your local economy, but it's very visible. And so if you have a bunch of vacancies up and down Main Street, you can, you understand why local leaders say, oh my goodness, there's a real issue here. We're a bunch of failures. Our community is a total failure because they see it and they drive by it every day. Absolutely. Even though you might have the world's best manufacturing sector with great paying jobs and the, the local economy is actually doing pretty darn good, you still see this, this sore, you get this sore thumb that you're looking at all the time. And so I think that really drives people to say, well, we at least need to understand where we're at and what can we do. Yeah. And one of the interesting parts about when we were doing this research is that the Amazon effect. So this idea that, or this not idea, this actual fact of more and more people purchasing their products, particularly retail type products online, getting it shipped to them or getting it shipped wherever versus going into a traditional brick and mortar retail store is having a different impact, but it also fits within this larger context of shifts in retail that have been happening 50, 60, 70 years, right? This is, retail has been in kind of a state of flux, I think, or evolving maybe is a better word, since we had Main Street <laughs> and no one has seen that more or has maybe seen the consequences of larger economic shifts than probably our, our most rural areas, particularly in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And now more recently with the Amazon, I think some of our economic centers who have benefited the most from some of these shifts starting in the 70s 
are starting to feel a little bit of a pinch, or maybe for the first time, we're starting to see some of their larger retail stores close, such as Herberger's and, you know, some of these, even I think a, a Target in Fergus Falls closed, right? Economic centers we're used to seeing growth in all of a sudden disappear. It's kind of a new feeling for some of those economic centers that our smallest towns have felt for a long time. Are you guys, I know you guys have some historical kind of context behind retail. Could one of you kind of explain what is the history behind retail and the store's evolving or moving out or shifting. I know the University of Minnesota has done a lot of trade hierarchy type studies. You know, what, what's the context of this particular issue? How does Amazon kind of fit into what has evolved uh, for the last 50 years? Well, I'll, I'll take a first crack at it and then, and then you'll fill it out here. You mentioned the, the Amazon effect. And before we were talking about the Amazon effect, when I started an extension 16 years ago, we were talking about the Walmart effect. So that was one of the first things that really engaged extension more directly in retail work was Walmart effect. And, and really it centered around this, this regionalization of retail that, that you alluded to. And, and yes, the most rural parts of Minnesota were most affected, especially by the work initially from an extension economist, Ken Stone in Iowa, which was then recreated here in Minnesota and picked up by our now our program leader, Bruce Schwartow, who's done a fair amount of this work uh, with Will, Will Craig as well at Cura. They examined the Walmart effect. And, and, and the issue was, if you looked at it by community size, the communities that were most affected by Walmart and this regionalization, which is kind of, you know, Walmart was sort of most emblematic of, were truly rural areas, small towns, and smaller regional centers that didn't have a Walmart, right? So I remember, you know, lo local color. I remember when I was a like a in my second year in extension, I had to go in front of, I was, I had the privilege of going in front of the business community of, of Wadena, uh, who had been slated to get a Walmart then next year. And it's sort of like, we did this program, small store success strategy. What can we do as independent retailers to prepare ourselves and boy, it was, it didn't go well. These people were not happy. <laughs> uh, and they didn't really like the story I was telling, which was what you saw in the data that, you know what, guys, actually, you're losing sales right now as a small regional center, in large part because your own residents are going to nearby bigger regional centers to shop at Walmart. Therefore, what you see is you're getting a Walmart actually gives you the opportunity to re retain some of these customers that you're very clearly losing right now. And that, that those sales keep going down because you don't have this big box retailer in your, in, in your community. And that kind of goes back to what you're talking about uh, with taxes and stuff, but it's essentially, are you importing or are you exporting your sales, right? Uh, as a community, and if you didn't have that anchor kind of Walmart or whatever, you were likely exporting or weren't yeah. able to import enough uh, to your to your local tax base or sales uh, total gross sales, whereas as soon as you got a Walmart, you had more and more people coming from outside the community, plus more and more staying in the community. That yeah. kind of represents an amp. Yeah, well, and and I mean we call it agglomeration, right? I mean it's because you're a regional center, you attract customers, you attract more customers, therefore you attract more businesses, right? And because now you have more businesses and a bigger business mix, you're going to attract more customers, which again is going to attract more businesses, which 
again, where did those sales come from? I mean, generally, generally for the most part, retail is a zero, what we call a zero sum game, right? It isn't like people instantly get $10,000 more every year. If those sales aren't spent in this community, they're going to another community, right? Um, the big picture, if you look at the retails, if you look at retail sales is that we keep spend, we keep spending incrementally more on sales, right? It's maybe the American way, but we keep decreasing the number of stores overall, right? So if you just look at the whole state, there's more gross sales and taxable sales a little bit each year because we're Americans and we just like to spend a little bit more all the time. I don't know if we just keep putting on a credit card or what, but the number of stores keeps decreasing. And so that's, that's really the big picture that we've seen. And the decreasing number of stores keep concentrating in these larger regional centers. And that, that's been the trend. Yeah. It was really interesting when uh, I think I broke down the, the numbers when we looked at the number of retail firms, it has decreased, particularly in our rural areas, between 20 and 25 percent since 2004. So we've seen a major reduction in the number of firms, retail firms across the state, but most severely in our rural areas. But then when we took the total gross sales in retail per firm, that's increasing by 30 to 40 percent since 2004, right? Less stores, more money floating around. Um, and I know uh, the University of Minnesota Extension, Bruce Shortaw actually just released in 2019 a report kind of talking about like, yeah, our retail store, the number of them doesn't look very good, but the ones that have survived are pretty strong, largely because retail does act in a very competitive kind of environment in which the strongest survive and the ones that survive do pretty darn well. Well, I think just to build on that, that historical perspective, a few years ago, Bruce and I, we did look at like, okay, where's, where did this change? You know, we can see these, this like slow growth in retail sales and, and in some smaller counties that don't have a regional center, it's like the sales were locked in time almost, you know, that's hardly changed. And we had to go back to like 1960s or the 50s to see when these regional centers started to take off. And I know Southwest Minnesota, that's where I've spent most of my career. So you could see in the data, like a Marshall or a a Wilmer, just that difference between the retail sales in their neighbors and in those regional centers was bigger in the 60s. And it just kept getting bigger. They were on a different curve. And they... It, it remains that way today that, you know, there wasn't one big steal. You know what I mean? It's not like a Walmart open and then all those sales, we could see a drop in all those other places. And now there's a big gain in one of these regional centers. The advantage has been there for a long time of that agglomeration into re- regional centers and places. And I think where this is an interesting thing to add to our discussion about that, because those regional centers, like we started talking about, They don't necessarily have an advantage when it's shipped to your door. So we don't know exactly where this is headed. That's fun and interesting and scary, maybe. You know, going into this, I had a lot of thoughts initially before we started digging into the numbers. But one of those questions that kept popping up in my mind was, does the rise of Amazon kind of almost decentralize again retail away from geographic location and give it back to kind of more the household individual level where there's more interactions and less less movement and importing and exporting of taxes and sales uh, due to that movement. But before we get there, I think just a quick 
like for our listeners, if you don't know what the Amazon effect is <laughs> in the context, so you have the, you have the Walmart effect. We've had all this going on for 50 years. And in the past 15 years or so, uh, we have something called the Amazon effect, which is just more broadly saying um, the impact that e-commerce has had in the retail market. And there's a lot there. There's a lot of impacts that we can look at, but academic literature kind of nails it down into three different ways that it's impacted at least traditional brick and mortar retail, the rise of e-commerce and what it's done to them. And in those three ways, real quickly, is price flexibility, uniform pricing. I'm not going to go and talk about each of these because you can read it in the report. The rise of experience-based shopping and then the incorporation of technology in brick and mortar retailers. These are all three ways in which our traditional brick and mortar retailers have been impacted. And what those equal, like if we were to combine all those together, what it means for our brick and mortar retailers is that essentially it's reduced retail markup price. So prices have stayed pretty steady. I know it's a time of inflation right now, but you know, in the past 10 years, inflation has been below average uh, on a pretty long streak here. And some of it's uh, accounted due to the rise of online sales, according to academic literature, while at the same time, these brick and mortar retailers have had to make investments into their business model or business strategy, even into their locations to bring in more customers or to keep customers from just looking and going online to get their products. And what that really has pointed towards why so many retail stores, which has been in decline for decades, but has declined pretty significantly in the past 15 years because they just weren't able to survive this major shift and change that's been happening. And when we talk to local leaders, kind of going back again to that visibility, you know, people are upset. They see these things closing and a lot of things were being talked about. What does this mean in terms of our tax base? Where are our taxes going if somebody buys something online and has a ship to their house? Does, do I get that? And then there's the other property tax question too. If we have all these vacant stores, what does that look like? And we'll go into that a little bit more, but I first want to start on to the local option sales tax. And for our listeners that maybe aren't super knowledgeable about how taxes work. So the state of Minnesota has a sales tax, but the state also allows counties and local governments, uh, municipal governments to charge a sales tax on top of that state sales tax, usually around 0.5 to 1% on top of uh, that for specific projects. Um, they can't go on forever. They're not just a tax to pay for anything. They have to be linked to a specific project, but a little bit unique. And so for an online retailer, you know, they sell a product, they have to charge, collect, and remit the sales tax, there's always this question about, well, what tax gets charged? Is it where it's shipped, where it's picked up? And I know, Neil, I you dug into this uh, quite a bit for our research paper, and you talked a lot about just being kind of surprised, you know, going into this, not a lot of us knew what it would look like. Do you want to kind of tell us, Neil, what did you find out and what was surprising to you? I definitely thought it was more confusing than it actually is. And part of that maybe is just like being a coming into this stuff, thinking it must be confusing and complex. One of the things that I learned while studying just what's out there and learning from the folks at the Minnesota Department of Revenue was that there are some simple tests that you can apply to a, any purchase that help you understand where those taxes should be paid if you're a retailer. And that I think is actually the best perspective to like look at this from is to try to follow the dollar and see who who takes it at what step and what's what's supposed to be appropriate. So by doing that, you know, we looked at the rules that are provided to retailers in Minnesota 
or really any anyone that is a seller. Uh, you don't even have to be a, a retailer, just someone who's selling. And those rules in Minnesota are they're they're in state law, but they're also accompanied by a lot of fact sheets and support by the Department of Revenue that help you understand that. And we we talk about those a little bit in the report and link to those. We also looked at something that is interesting and maybe you know to to folks that are just out there probably have never heard of it or understand that there's a system of other states out there that have supported how do we get our hands on you know like our arms around this issue of online sales and and be consistent across different jurisdictions so we we did that and then we also just tried to say like let's look at some scenarios so that we can understand what's happening and answer the questions for ourselves. Like that's what I needed to do. I needed to say, for instance, if someone purchases an online gift card, who pays the taxes? I, I was on my city council. Like, I want to know, do, is that, does that count here? Or how does that work? And in that case, you know, the, that purchase isn't taxed. Okay. That instead, when you use that gift card, it's taxed. And then it's where you made that purchase that the taxes will be collected. So if there's a local sales tax where you use that gift card, then you'll be paying that local sales tax. If there's like the local option sales tax, then you'll be paying that as well. And uh, th that's all accounted for. It's all streamlined and made made easy uh, for, for people to use this, this system. You know, some of the just general rules, like how do they do this? I thought were really interesting. They start with the seller's address. When a purchaser picks up the product at the seller's location, charge based on that business location. Okay, that's that's straightforward. Maybe it's the delivery address. That's the next step of your, you know, deciding which taxes are owed. Then it's the billing address if you don't have a delivery address. And then it's when you don't have that, then it's something like the customer's address if you got it during the transaction. And then if you still don't have that, then you're going on where the item was shipped from or or the service provide was provided. So there's there's things like that that I just thought, oh, that's very clear. It it's it's useful guidance, but it also gives us a window into um how taxes are are collected. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was just that the Department of Revenue in Minnesota is collecting these taxes and they are it's almost like holding them in escrow. Right, like they're they're collecting the taxes and then they distribute them to the right cities and counties and jurisdictions that are owed those taxes. They have a spreadsheet. There's spreadsheets that get sent in. There's a a system that is in place that people, sellers, firms, business owners, they use to to submit the information appropriately. And it seems like they do a really good job of doing that, and that they are effective at it. So. Uh, to me, those were the surprising points. You know, one that it was, it's clear if you look at it from the perspective of, of a seller and what the advice that you provided on, that Minnesota has an effective system to, to handle this and they're prepared for online sales. And that those taxes that are collected from online sales are getting to the right places. They're getting to the right jurisdictions. One thing that was also kind of interesting was when we dug into the local option sales tax trends for a lot of our, some of our communities that have been going, you know, have had one implemented since 2007, 2006. So we could kind of see those trends. We weren't seeing anything that was super like 
we should be worried about, like just general increases, some more than others. You know, I think each one, each community is a little bit different, but we didn't see anything that would indicate that e-commerce in general or the Amazon effect was having any sort of really bad negative impact for our communities and counties that have chosen to implement a local option sales tax. And it seems like some of that is due to in this really did follow when we dug into the academic literature of studies being done in other states that that it seemed pretty normal. Like all the other states, particularly rural areas, seemed to be in a position to really benefit the most from this shift. And I'd be curious to hear from both of you, you know, going back to the Walmart effect, to the Amazon effect, what are the main differences there? And how do you see that playing out over the next 10 to 20 years? You know, when I look at this, it's, it's interesting. Let me put it this way. Like I've had conversations with older residents in some rural communities that look at the Amazon effect as like another nail in the coffin for small towns, that somehow it's some sort of big company, big corporation taking all of our tax dollars and all of our money and all of our local entrepreneurs out of business. But as a younger person for myself and the way that I have done my shopping and even the way that my family, particularly my wife, interacts with the economy now is strictly online. And we have seen this give us an ability to be business owners in a different way in our local community. So there's both this sense of like, I feel like it's providing more opportunities for business owners in rural areas to get their products out in a way that wasn't possible beforehand. While at the same time, I get to sit here in my city of New London, make purchases on Amazon and my city of New London, which has chosen to do a local option sales tax, gets those taxes instead of me having to go to St. Cloud. Not so great for St. Cloud, but great for New London. So I guess in your guys' mind, what are your thoughts on that? And have you guys seen any research or thought about that? Well, I'd, I'd say two things. One, I think the big headline is that if you have a local option sales tax, online sales are collected and remitted to you, right? That's like the big headline, right? So like you say with New, New London, if we're comparing the Walmart effect versus the Amazon effect, previously, you physically went to St. Cloud you shopped at a big box store. And oh, by the way, when you were there in this big regional center with all these other stores, since you were there, you went to all these other places. Whereas now, see, all those sales then went to St. Cloud and whatever taxes were remitted or they, they basically went to St. Cloud. Whereas now those are, are going to New London, at least some portion of those, those ones that are, are, are online. And so I think that that's one big thing to underline and I had a second idea, but I don't even remember it now, Kelly. It's okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll add one. Because in that's there. got all tripped up. <laughs> it's okay. I'll add one. You can come back in, right? It's fine. okay. There you go. I think there's a, a tendency to paint this as all good or all bad, all or nothing, you know. And like you were just saying, maybe you're still going to St. Cloud if you live 60 miles away. You, may, you might just go a little less, right? Or maybe there's just were things that you can purchase that were never going to be in St. Cloud, Minneapolis or Chicago or wherever, right? They were just weren't, they weren't nearby you. And so, okay, that gives you a little bit more choice and access to things that you're interested in. Maybe you need them, maybe you want them, but I think there's this, this idea that 
this technological change, like these are, the Walmart effect to me was a big financial innovation, right? It was a business model innovation that we can make these types of stores that increase the range in which we can pull customers in and we can make it really attractive for them. And that was a, a way of operations and financial structure that made that possible. And I think with, with Amazon and other online, really big online retailers, there's technological innovations that are happening there too. And, you know, those are, are seldom all good or all bad. So like you were saying, Kelly, hey, you can be a business owner. That's the other side of this coin is that now there are wholesalers that have taken Amazon's model that allow you to be an online business person and be able to source, you know, products and materials in a way that you just wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because now the online shop exists and it's easy to use. And the price competition is just almost global, right? So that, that gives you this advantage. And we, we don't talk about it in this report, but we've been seeing it that, for instance, like clothing boutiques have had a renaissance in small communities. When I started, maybe when Ryan started, you know, even 15 years ago, like if someone said, I think I'm going to start a small clothing shop in, in a small town of a couple thousand people, it didn't seem advisable. It just seemed like that is, that's going to be a challenging thing to do. Uh, but I've been proven wrong numerous times. I think part of that is is this access to these supply chains and the technology that helps make it a lot easier to do those sorts of things. It allows entrepreneurs to have now a variety that they couldn't have before. Like to back it up, like it used to be that if you wanted to go to source clothing for, let's say a, a boutique clothing store and then some home goods, you would have to go to a market in Atlanta or Dallas a couple times a year and interact with all these suppliers, which still exist and you can still do and lots of people do. But now you also have the option to go on to the, the Amazon of wholesalers, right? And, and source your, your products there and, and build your relationships and, and build your product set there. So again, it's not, my point is that it's not all good or all bad. And that this is a, a technological change that we're seeing on how things are sourced and how things are priced, and uh, saying that it, the the death of a town or or not, I just think it's short sighted. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's funny. Like any of that narrative, that's typically what it is, right? Like it's always pretty short sighted when anybody says, "Ah, oh, that's it. This is the end of that town. That thing left. That thing changed." <laughs> that's never really been the case. But going back to the Amazon effect on on retail, too, I think people kind of paint the issue in pretty broad strokes. So it's Amazon. Everything's going to be Amazon. We're going to buy everything online in 20 years, right? And when we dug into the data, that actually wasn't the case. There are some sectors of retail that are doing better than others, actually. We've had some actually retail sectors have increases in the number of firms. And I, I know you guys have dug into that a little bit. Neil, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Ryan, I know you probably know the most about those individual little, you know, the 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 three code, uh, NAICS codes, kind of which ones have been doing better than others and what you feel like online has impacted and what has actually not, it's not impacting. You want to talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about how some retailer brick and mortar are finding that niche to survive and, and, and do their thing? Yeah, 
life with NAICS codes, right, Kelly? Sometimes I get into a community and I talk about NAICS codes and everybody's eyes just glaze over and like, why are we even talking about this? You have a friendly audience this time, so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, to be clear, our ability to really get into the guts about how this is affecting individual categories and retail categories in Minnesota is kind of difficult. And I think that's brought up in the report in part about how state sales tax data are reported, right? It's not 100% clear that these are online sales and these are brick and mortar sales. It's just not reported that way. And it's definitely not reported in the way that's like, these are online sales. These are clearly online sales that are, that are affected, that are in this category in Minnesota. So yeah, I think uh, Ryan too, like it's just for clarity's sake uh, for our audience, like there is no way we can be able to differentiate different types of e-commerce because we can call e-commerce buying something on Amazon from somebody and getting it shipped to us, or we can call e-commerce, buying something on walmart.com, but picking it up in Wilmer at the Walmart, that's also, I think, considered e-commerce, right? But mm-hmm. when we look to categorize that through sales tax data or, or, or total gross sales in the retail data, those are categorized very differently. And it's kind of hard that we can't separate out that particular, particularly the Walmart example. We can't say this amount of those sales was bought through walmart.com versus in the actual store. Like that gets nearly impossible. Well, and maybe to just be more, even more specific about it. I think that's helpful. We're not able to say this is how many men's dress shirts are purchased online in your County or your city versus how many men's dress shirts purchased online across Minnesota. We don't, we we don't have it down to the product. And right. I think that's what right. a lot of folks would really like to know, like how, how much of, you know, the Christmas goods that are on sale right now, how much of those are being purchased online versus in our town? We don't know. And I know that was a recommendation we made in the report to the state, Minnesota state government was, you know, maybe providing a bit more resources or whatever the Department of Revenue needs in order to to figure out how to categorize that better because they do a wonderful job in so many ways, but that data is a little bit hard to get around. But Ryan, well, we interrupted. Think, Please. Oh, go I, ahead. I, I just want to add one more interruption there. Yeah, think about it from their perspective. Like Kelly, my challenge to you is find me something you can't buy on Amazon. You know what I mean? Like if Amazon is, is or Target or Walmart or really any you know mega online retailer, has to say this is how many shirts we sold that is is it is probably a very difficult task to do and then to report that to the state by by product category is is very challenging i I think we just have to sort of like reality test like yeah that's it is possible but it just might be insanely expensive and difficult to to get right and, and be accurate so we we can kind of see that those things are out there we want them it would be really nice it would definitely help entrepreneurs make better choices but it there there is a challenge in getting that's that level of data and that's my other interruption for you right now no but I, do it it's, it's right now but that that challenge about products versus business classifications even if we had nothing to do with e-commerce at all is forever an issue right you have car dealers that may sell coffee at this point, it's actually part of their sales, a tiny part of their sales, right? 
or general merchandise stores that now sell food, right? So splitting out this product, trying to differentiate products can drive you crazy. But I think a larger point is at this point, we can't even differentiate. We can't differentiate well for Minnesota, the impact of e-commerce by business category. Yes, some categories are certainly impacted more than others. I think ones that come to mind and you see in the data um, and, and in the report, we looked at what's called e-stats. Census is collecting data about online sales and the amount of online sales nationally. And we try to apply those to Minnesota, at least look at those to say, you know, what is, if we're like the rest of the nation, what does this look like? And in some categories, there's greater impact than others. Certainly we'd think about something like electronics. We see this, I thought surprisingly, there's just as much impact in, in vehicles and parts. You think about part sales online for vehicles. Yeah, a lot of that has transitioned online or people, but still there's other categories like think about building materials. Yes, we say there aren't too many things you can't get on Walmart, or I mean, we can't get on Amazon, but I still don't think we can order large quantities of two by fours yet. And yeah, so that's, yeah. a, that's a very large category. So we, we see that that's um, that different business categories are impacted by online sales. And so there certainly are, there certainly is a Menards.com and people do those transactions. But a lot of times people are still picking those up in store. Those are reported at the bricks and mortar store. You see, so there's a little complexity in terms of where the data gets reported. I know the thing that is in the report that I think is important to highlight is that the way it is reported in Minnesota with our sales tax data is in this one category called non-Minnesota. There's this very large, there's this large category of sales called non-Minnesota. And those, those are these non, so for example, we certainly do have existing bricks and mortar stores in Minnesota that have online sales. What percentage of gift shops on sales are online and they're in Minnesota? We don't honestly know, but we can look at this non-Minnesota category. And those are all these national market, you know, online marketplace sellers and online retailers. We think of the Etsy's of the world and we think of, you know, somebody it's like hockeysticks.com and it's in Connecticut, right? They're selling hockey sticks to people in Minnesota. That's all in this non-Minnesota, which is a huge big category. And it's very clear that that number has grown quite a bit more dis disproportionate to the total amount of sales in Minnesota. So what was it? Minnesota sales in the time period we we're looking at, Kelly would, had gone up like 24%. Yeah, yeah, right around there. Twenty five. Non Minnesota category had gone up one hundred and seventy one percent. So very clearly, that's you. That's where we see that effect. We just can't categorize it very well. So the other part of this then was real quickly when we did dig into the property tax data. You know, obviously, um, the amount of property taxes collected from kind of we have to say commercial properties because we don't have breakdowns for what's just a retail property versus some other non-retail commercial property, but that uh, the property taxes collected from commercial properties is starting to stagnate. Like it's still been increasing slightly, but over the past seven or eight years, it's kind of stagnated, flatlined a little bit, but that isn't a big deal because uh, particularly for our rural areas, commercial properties 
make up such a small percentage of the total properties in a county that it's not making a huge dent. And in fact, we've had such increases in agriculture and in manufacturing and some of these other types of properties that it's totally overcompensated for any sort of loss that we might've seen in retail. But that's a conversation uh, and a report coming out in a few weeks, which is looking at uh, county revenue reliance on particularly ag land, but kind of talking about what shifts are currently happening in property tax revenues as these changes are happening, particularly probably getting away from retail. Then we get into dark star theory, which we're not even going to touch on this episode. But I kind of wanted to end, I guess, our conversation talking about, you know, I think we all saw this research as being both surprising, definitely not bad news, Maybe not great news, but it's just kind of a vanilla, like everything seems to be going okay. Everybody chill out a little bit. The Amazon effect isn't on the same level as far as particularly negative impacts as the Walmart effect maybe have had in our our smaller communities. But looking ahead, what are some of the things you guys feel like we need to continue to look at and kind of monitor, particularly for our rural communities as we move move forward? Well, you know, I think the big thing in the short term is, yeah, I think this report just sort of, hopefully just sort of puts people a little bit at ease and understanding about how e-commerce fits in the big picture. It's maybe somewhat concerning, but it's not anything to be alarmist about. In the short term, I think the thing to look at, you know, having taken just a small peak from local option sales tax data from 2020, there were some crazy numbers that happened in 2020, which I think we all know But that 2020 data hasn't been presented or published yet by the Department of Revenue. And so I think just that coming out, the data that will, it's the most definitive data about sort of what we felt over this past year in retail and service. And without a doubt, everybody would agree that the Amazon effect was accelerated during that time. You know, man, I'm not not getting too long-term thinking here, Kelly. But I, I think there's a lot to be said about us taking a closer look at how 2020 played out, where we're actually going to have some data looking backwards to say, how did this shift? And is that or will that not be the new normal, right? So people have always talked about we did these, sh- these economic shifts in terms of how we shopped throughout the pandemic that, yep, temporarily that happened. We, we know that. But a greater question is, to what extent did that change in shopping patterns? Will they will they stick or will they spring back to where we were, right? And that's both negative and positive because we have some anecdotal data about, I didn't like what happened during the pandemic and I actively sought out more independent and local shopping, right? Some people reacted in that way and other people went 100% on Amazon, right? And so, we don't really know how that shifted and we don't necessarily know how that shifted long-term in our shopping patterns. And that's something to keep, keep monitoring and thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fabulous. And two, we heard some anecdotal information and data too, I think like local grocery stores, smaller grocery stores that seem to do really, really well during the pandemic because people's fear of going into a bigger grocery store. And you just kind of seen a little bit different narrative among people. Uh, even afterwards being like, yeah, you know, I used to not go there very often, but now I go there every week just because I kind of enjoyed it, blah, blah, blah. So it'll be interesting to see how those impacts uh, proceed. But uh, Neil, how about you? Yeah. Well, I think I agree with what you 
both have been saying there. The thing that I'll add is that we haven't really talked about these, like during the pandemic, there were also retailers discovered that they could sell online. And I don't think we should assume that our local retailers in in smaller communities are going to say, I need to just be a bricks and mortar, that they're going to say, you know, I'm just, this is the only way I can go. I, I think we might see more diversification in people selling online and expanding their market that they were able to, and their customer base in, in ways that maybe they hadn't before. You know, like, does all of that square footage in a downtown building need to be dedicated to storefront? Or can some of that square footage be used to support that online business component of your sales? So I don't, I don't think that I'm just really cautious on saying that that's not going to happen, that, that we won't see that, you know, the next great online retailers starting up here in our small communities there's why why couldn't they right they they have the ability to use these tools like everybody else uh so what i'm curious about what will happen going forward is where will these retailers that are in our small towns where will they be using online tools to to make a go at it and get that extra bit of profit to keep things moving yeah it seems like a new uh program extension could maybe offer in the future huh? <laughs> yeah and and hey there there were like by necessity i saw a lot of restaurants that did decide we can get our menu online we can make we can make some steps to make this easier and they figured it out i think yeah. people people are great assets to our communities they'll figure these things out yeah totally well gentlemen Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you again for collaborating with me on this research project. I had a ton of fun doing it. I hope you guys learned a lot. Thank you, Kelly. It is always the best to work with you. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Everywhere.